thought that uh, St. Jude's had is a very, very special night indeed. It's very humbling, I guess, to be here. You'd think that to introduce your wife would be easy. Not so easy. Because we go way back. We go back actually 50 years because it's high school sweethearts. Uh, that's a long time. And 45 years of marriage, you're talking a lot of things. In fact, that I love her so much that I said I'd marry her all over again. And I really mean that this time. <laughs> but I know that all of you here have stories of your own, stories to be told. Everyone here has people to thank. Thank those people along your journey of faith. Everyone knows the power of prayer. And everyone here also has the ability to share with one another. And it just happened that the founder, uh, CEO, Pete and Karen Matheson, the founders, happened to be uh, in my office this last Monday. And I received a call, and it was during our meeting, so I glanced at it. It was a call from Minnesota, and I didn't know who that would be at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I lifted the phone up, and I thought better of it, and I put it back down. Then it rang again, the same number. And I thought, sometimes when God knocks, you must answer. So I answered this phone, and hello. Uh, yes, is this Deacon John? I'm trying to get a hold of your wife. Because the person that called said that she had seen one of those flyers that had been going out, and she wanted to speak with Patrice because there's something that touched her, the fact that it's a thyroid cancer. And this person was going to undergo surgery for thyroid uh, today, otherwise she would be here tonight. Well, I stopped in the hospital today to let you know the good news is that the operation went well. I think everything's benign. We are so proud of uh, her reaching out. Just the words and the things that you say to the people that are in front of you and behind you and next to you, you never know how that opens the door. And that's how God works through us. Anyway, I want to thank you for those that have never given up with prayer and bring this CEO here in St. Jude for the very first time. And our speaker today has her own story to tell is from the heart of a teacher. And when I met a visionary in Algona, that was someone that was my focus for the rest of my life. But during the weather time, we were talking tonight about the weather tomorrow, all the storm that's going to come in, what it might do. Well, when Patrice and I were dating in high school, we also would watch the weather. And we would always make sure that I was at her place when the weather was turning bad, and then I would always call my mom because I was a mama's boy and said, Mom, the roads are really bad. What do you think? You better stay right there. And be safe. And I said, thanks, Mom. I will do exactly that. And reciprocate, Patrice would come to my house and the same thing. I would call her mom and say, you know, it's really bad. The roads are slippery. And what do you think? Well, maybe she would have just stayed right there. And I said, I agree with you. <laughs> we had fun doing that back and forth. It brought us much joy during our lives. I'm happy that uh, we have, uh, I'm not sure if we have our son Justin with us. Would you stand up, Justin, just let you know? And I'm not sure if
taught at Rockford, Illinois, and then at Lindmar School. And if you hadn't known all of she taught for 45 years. And then she received her doctorate in education. Because Patrice is not just a deacon's wife, she has demonstrated how one's faith can grow even when faced with tragedies, the story that you'll be telling tonight. And I know this firsthand because I know her too as a survivor. She is my wife. She is my sweetheart. She is definitely my soulmate, my best friend, my rock. So I ask you to please welcome to our reception CEO. Welcome for Patrice Winkle. My lifeguard walks on water. Good evening. When I begin a project or a presentation such as this, I have to find a place where my creative thoughts flow. It used to be my desk at school where I would be focused and very centered. But I don't have a teacher's desk anymore as I have retired after 45 years of teaching. We had recently moved and I was challenged to find a place in this different house to, present, to create this presentation in a different home. First, I tried my office, thinking that's the logical place. Then I tried my master bedroom, the dining room, the guest bedroom, and I finally ended up in the sunroom. This room was bright and full of music. Music powers my mind, and I live and breathe through it. Therefore, tonight I would like to begin this with an inspiration song by Toby Mack. Do you have a song or songs that put you in the mood to do challenging tasks? I have a variety of songs in a variety of different genres. Tonight I have chosen a song in which I am asking God to please help me with this presentation and please speak through me. As Toby Mack says, steal my show. Tonight, I would like to begin by sharing with you five incidences in my life where divine intervention seems probable. They span my lifetime, as I've always been touched by God. Some people may say that I have been lucky. Yes, I have times where I have been very lucky, but I know these are miracles. Sometime during my presentation, I will ask a question and I will pause. And I will say, pause. This will give you time to think about the question in your mind, ponder a possible answer, and then think about it more in depth later. Incident number one, the medical procedure. I was born in Algona, a small town in Northern Iowa, and I am the youngest of three girls. I have two older sisters who we all grew up on a farm. Who, their names are Susan and Diane. We did lots of chores, but most of the, my elementary and high school years were spent with school activities, 4-H, homework, writing for the newspaper and the yearbook, spending time with friends, caring for my wide variety of pets, singing and playing the trumpet. Life was exciting. I was born a cradle Catholic, 
and many generations of my family were too. Our lives were centered around the church. Church was a family affair, which included both my sets of grandparents, all of my aunts and uncles, all of my cousins, and I had a lot of cousins. I never remember being challenged about my faith involvement because of my all my classmates and friends either went to St. Cecilia's school or St. Cecilia's church. As an infant, I had been born with a cleft, brachial cleft cyst in my neck and inner ear. To this day, I have a, a, a scar. I had two surgeries the first two years of my life, yet the cyst remained. When I was five, I had my final surgery. While in the hospital, I learned the prayers of the Catholic, the Catholic Church. My Auntie Evelyn would spend a lot of time at the, at the hospital with me. We would repeat the prayers, play memory games with the prayers, and sing them. After all, she was a music teacher. When I got to first grade, I even knew the memorari. My parents discovered, however, what was to be a routine final surgery turned out differently, and the routine procedure went wrong. The surgeon had accidentally cut my main facial nerve. My mouth became deformed, and it was thought that there was nothing medically to do to fix the damaged nerve. It was too badly damaged. But we discovered that if I chewed gum, lots of gum, my face began to return to normal. To this day, I remember chewing gum as a kindergartner. And you would think that this is, would be fun for me or I would be happy about this. I was embarrassed. So what would I do? I would pass out, bus on, out gum on the bus on the way home. Um, within a year, my face had returned to normal, normal, medically unfixable, but physically with a lot of self-determination, my deformity was gone. I remember my parents taking me to the hospital and the doctors and nurses saying, calling it a miracle. I was just so happy to be finished with the doctor's visits. For the following two years, I received a penicillin injection every Saturday to avoid infection. I'm allergic to penicillin today. Life returned to normal, and I remember making a thank you May altar with violets that grew along the side of our house. I'm pretty sure those violets grew wild there yet today. I still have the vase that held these flowers. It, is ma it has made our every move. It is a statue of Mary that holds water and flowers in the back. Surrounded by my cats and kittens, I had a makeshift altar where I thanked Blessed Mary for my good fortune, and I prayed the Memorari. I know God loves me, and I love him. I am a survivor. Incident number two, thyroid cancer. After graduating from Bishop Garrigan High School in Algona, and you and I, John, my high school sweetheart, and I were married on December 29, 1973. We were married eight years before our first daughter, Monica, came to full term. We had lost three babies prior to her birth. Have any of you been faced with infertility problems, or do you know someone who has? It's a topic that is very rarely, rarely discussed, 
because people hold it only in their hearts. Pause. In January 1982, the first of our three girls was born. Monica, our miracle, came first. Carmen came 13 months later, and Julie arrived 15 months after that. Yes, I remember the days when there were three in diapers, and we were very, very busy with their love and care. I was also teaching kindergarten at the time. We later adopted our son Justin from Korea in 1991. He is the icing on our cake. We have four adorable grandchildren and three charming son-in-laws. When Julia, our youngest daughter, was six weeks old, a lump was accidentally discovered by an exam. We began to, the task of running from doctor to doctor and clinic to clinic. It was believed that I had a terminal illness, which would soon end my life. I was told that thyroid cancer would be a welcome relief. Here we were with these three little girls, one six weeks old, one just one, and one barely two. I kept asking God why he was testing me to the max. Of course, he was silent, waiting for me to make my resolve. God was with me when the doctor told me I had thyroid cancer as I was in shock, but something stronger than me kept me calm. Has anyone here known the fear of a bad diagnosis? How did you respond? It is scary, but you must remain strong in your faith. Pause. I listened intently as the doctor described the treatment. Following surgery to remove my thyroid, I was given radioactive iodine pills and unable to be with the girls or John, nor was I able to return to school. The girls went to, to live with their, nanny at, with their nanny at her house and her husband, Grandpa Jerry. We were so lucky to have them. The iodine pills each cost $5,000. That's 30 years ago. They, they were flown from St. Louis to Rockford Memorial Hospital. We lived in Rockford, Illinois at the time. And there was a police escort with the iodine capsules as we made our, our way to the hospital. The three pills were kept in lead cases like nesting dolls. I wondered if I would ever have long-term effects from the radioactive iodine, as everyone was so cautious and crazy about the, their arrival. I took them with water so as not to upset my stomach. I was the one ingesting them. John and the oncologist were there with me when the oncologist opened the can canisters, and I watched intently one by one. He then handed me the pills. I then had to stay in the hospital until my radioactivity level lowered. The room in which I stayed was at the very end of the hallway next to the terminally ill cancer patients. My door was covered with a huge bright yellow sign that had a big X on it and the sign said, absolutely no entry. The room inside itself was covered with plastic on the walls. Everything in the room, the lights, the phone, the remote, the bed, the light switches, even the toilet was wrapped in blue padded plastic wrap. Whatever I took into the room could not come out. I had to be very careful in selecting my items 
such as eyeglasses, shoes, clothes, and paperwork, so as it would all be gone. They would be discarded with the radioactive materials in the room, which remained untouched for three months. My job was to drink 16 ounces of water every 15 minutes, and each time change into a different new scrub from the mountain of scrub suits that were in my room. That night, my sisters and friends kept calling me all the time to see how I was doing with the water brigade. I think they really called to see if I was awake, and I really appreciated that. To everyone's surprise, I was not nauseated as expected. In the morning, two men dressed in special suits and hoods would come into my room with a Geiger counter and test the radioactivity levels. I was released the second day as my, drop, my radioactivity drop, had dropped immediately, much to the doctor's amazement. I will do and continue to take Synthroid for my life. This has been 30 years ago, and I'm sure treatment today has improved. During my stay, two interesting people came to visit me. The first one was a TV repairman, and he came to fix my TV. I didn't even know the TV was broken. He, he hadn't read the sign, and when I told him he better, better read it, he immediately left the room and forgot his tools. The second was an elderly priest that came to, to give me communion daily. I knew he had read the sign, and I mentioned that he probably shouldn't be in my room. He always would say, he laughed it off, and he would say that God would provide. I still pray for that priest and all people that risk their lives to help others. I had to stay on the second floor of our home for six weeks, and I remember John and our friends would bring my meals to the top of the stairs and run away. <laughs> I was alone. I was very alone. I kept asking God, why? I tried making deals with God. I would say, Heavenly Father, please let me live to see the girls out of diapers. Then it was, please let me live to see them enter school, then graduate from school, high school and college, and then to be married. I am happy to say that I, he, we have witnessed all of the above. I know God loves me, and I love him. I am a survivor. Incident number three, three freak car accidents. I have been in several fender benders in my life, several, but three times I have been involved in what could have been fatal accidents. The first one was when I was a sophomore in high school and my sister Diane was routinely driving my cousin and me to school. We lived in the country about five miles away from the school. We were all three in the band, and usually my cousin Norma and I would sit in the back seat with the instruments, and my sister would drive. On this Friday in late October, we had decided to put all the instruments in the back seat, and the three of us would sit on the front bench seat. Back then, they didn't have bucket seats. And as you know, in those days, we didn't have seat belts. As we were making the, a left turn off Highway 18, a loaded semi going at a high rate of speed couldn't stop and rear-ended our tiny, our tiny Chevy. Upon collision, the back seat was pushed into the front seat and all the instrument cases were damaged. We had all been pushed up near the front windshield 
while the car went into the ditch. Right next to us sat the, that semi into the, he, that went into the same ditch. We were unable to get out of the car due to the fact of the collision that had damaged the doors. Over top of us sat the semi rocking back and forth, back and forth about five feet from our car. After nearly smashing the top of the car, the semi stopped rocking and we were safe and alive. We, had all, we all had whiplash and bruises, but we had walked away from a very dangerous situation. That night, in the middle of the night, my dad had a heart attack. He couldn't stop thinking of what ifs. We three victims were in shock, but happy to be alive, and we thank God for our safety and the survival of my dad. We were taking high school ITBS tests at that week, and when I went to school, the principal asked, knowing about the accident, he asked if I would want to take the test at a later date. And I said no, I'd just as soon have them done when, when everybody else finished. It was a good choice because I scored off the charts. Looking back, I must have been super attentive or still in shock. The second accident involved my now husband John and I on January 1st, 1970. We were home for Christmas break from college and we were headed to his Uncle Johnny's house for a New Year's Eve gathering. We were driving my now brother-in-law's brand new Mustang. It was a blizzard outside on the country roads and the ice was raining down upon us. Suddenly, because of the fire, because of the ice, our car veered off the road and the car landed upside down in a ditch full of six feet of icy snow. We were sitting on the inside roof of the car and that was a really weird sensation. We were two miles from the nearest farmhouse. The sun had set and it was dark, but there was a nice moon that night that would shine bright in the sky. We said a brief prayer and reluctantly opened the upside down window and crawled out of the deep icy snow. We then ran holding hands to the nearest farmhouse. Luckily someone was home as it would have been an additional two miles to the next farm place. Because we did not have gloves, we held hands and our hands became frozen together with frostbite. The lady at the farmhouse was a nurse and she ran cold water over our hands and we thanked God for her and for rescuing us. It was a New Year's Eve we would never forget. My brother-in-law Mike is a kind person. He only asked if we were hurt and never once Throughout all the years, has he ever referenced the damaged car, which I'm sure was his pride and joy. The third car accident happened just last May when I was T-boned by a car that came out of nowhere on 29th Avenue. The driver hit me right in front of my driver's door and moved the engine over 18 to 24 inches. Once again, I sat there and prayed. I was dizzy and I sat there trying to figure out if I was hurt or not. My car was totaled. The police came and told me how lucky I was to have not been badly injured. I walked away again from a near death situation. The Holy Spirit was with me and I became stronger knowing what could have happened. The following morning, I was fine. I know God loves me and I love him. 
I am a survivor. Incident number four, traumatic brain injury. It was toward the end of May 2013, and in an effort to downsize, we moved to a different house near Xavier. As some of you know, we move quite often. Well, this house had a different stair configuration from our previous home. In the middle of the first night living there, I got up to go downstairs and I stepped into, I fell into thin air. I tumbled down the stairs and my forehead hit the hard wall at the bottom and I was knocked out cold. As luck would have it, two EMTs, my, our daughter Carmen and her son, her son, our son-in-law Ryan, were staying with us that night. They took quick action and got me to Unity Point Hospital. After a quick evaluation, I found myself in the Lifeline helicopter on the way to the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. Once a teacher, you're always a teacher. And the number one rule in education is never fail to show up without having a substitute. Although I was in a coma, I came out of it briefly in the helicopter to ask the medic to call the substitute teacher reporting line. <laughs> I, I gave him explicit numbers and the five steps he needed to get me a sub. He was successful. Although I couldn't remember my own name or who that president was, I had remembered the sub information. <laughs> All the other teachers thought it was remarkable that I had called for, had actually had a sub show up that day. But I guessed, guess teachers are hardwired that way. And then I passed out again. How many of you have ridden in the Lifeline helicopter or ambulance? What were your thoughts? Pause. I found that a lot of thoughts cross your mind and I found myself worrying about others. How would this accident affect my family? Would the sub be able to figure out my plans? When would I be able to return to school and you and I? And where was my husband and other random thoughts? I was going in and out of a coma, but having worked in hospice, I was very aware of what was happening around me. Although there were only two people in the tiny helicopter, I saw a third person as clear as day. It was my late auntie, the one that taught me to pray and who I love with my heart and my soul. She was yelling, Tracy, go back. You have too much yet to do. And then she disappeared. The helicopter medic later told me I was praying the rosary on my fingers while I was fighting to wake up. I felt the need to wake up and tell everyone that I was saved by an angel, my angel. The doctors and nurses spent considerable time with me, and it was evident that I didn't have full use of my faculties. The brain bleed right on the frontal lobe was obviously causing memory loss, but the amount of damage was yet to be determined. Three neurosurgeons came into my room throughout that day, and they all told me the same five words. Someone is watching over you. They later told me at the follow-up appointment that the doctors were waiting for all of our children to arrive so they could tell them that I might not make it to, to, until the next morning. But I kept getting better 
and better. I knew that there was a more powerful being present at that moment. And once again, I had been protected with, and my prayers were answered. It took me about three months to, to recuperate. During the seven years prior to the accident, I was taking classes and finishing my, my dissertation. I was two-thirds finished, and I would be a doctor of education in the field of curriculum instruction. However, there was one problem. Although I had boxes and boxes of research that I had read and recorded, after the accident, I wasn't able to remember enough to defend my topic successfully. So you and I, after really analyzing me, gave me three additional years, and I began a new dissertation on a different topic. Some people ask me why I just didn't quit. I had a great excuse. Why was I going back? Well, they didn't know me well because I'm not a quitter. When I set out to reach a goal, and I knew I, I reached that goal, and I knew this was still within reach. I love learning, and I love academia. And so the challenge actually became a positive influence in my life. Whenever I went to UNI, two to three nights a week, I would park in St. Stephen's parking lot, and I would visit the church and plead with God to let me finish my dream. And he did. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I had achieved my lifetime goal. I feel as if we did it together. I never could have done it without the help of my husband, John, and my wonderful dissertation committee, who guided me so I would not fail. On the day of graduation, there was a lot of emotion and as I walked across the stage, I hugged my committee chair and another one of my teachers. I just didn't want to let them go. With the help of a great institution, I had reached my goal. With the help of God, my brain damage was not as severe as previously thought. And once again, I had succeeded. I know God loves me, and I love him. I am a survivor. Incident number five, a struggle for life in the Pacific Ocean. I will begin incident number five with reading a, reading, a reading from St. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32. This is the impetus for my speech. Jesus walks on water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come, on, come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. A struggle for life in the Pacific Ocean. On August 4th, 2018,
just a few months ago. Our daughter, Julia, was married to the love of her life, Justin, in Los Cabos, Mexico. 75 family members and friends flew to the beautiful resort Sandals in Cabo. For five days, it was a fairy tale as everyone enjoyed the activities arranged by the bridal couple. It was living the dream. The wedding and reception went on without a hitch and everyone prepared to return home. The last day was unplanned, and so John and I decided to enjoy the late afternoon with a walk on the shore of the Pacific Ocean. We were walking 50 feet from the shore when our dream turned into a nightmare. All of a sudden, without warning, the ocean roared, the ground shook, and out came a giant rogue wave full of sand. Later we learned that this wave was a forerunner of Hurricane John, which arrived on land the next day. Before we knew what was happening, we were knocked off of our feet and sucked into the ocean. It was quick, it was fast, it was shocking. I was first to enter the water and before I knew it, I was 200 feet in the ocean and my world started spinning. I had been caught in a tidal pool and was being tossed around like a rag doll in a washing machine. I was tossed over and over with each arrival of each new wave. I couldn't get out. I had been caught and I could not get out. Under the water, the train-like roar of the engine was deafening and the water was cold, the sand even colder. I had lost all sense of direction in the water. At one point, I made it out of the wave and I saw John coming to try to rescue me. He held out his hand and we locked arms, but the force of the waves pulled us apart. I was moved 50 more feet into the ocean. I yelled to John to go back to shore, as I knew if he came to where I was, he would be drowned also. I knew losing one of us for our family would be sad, but to lose both of us would be a tragedy. I kept saying, go back, go back. One of us must stay alive. But he still kept coming. The intense waves continued, and as they did, I was moved further into the ocean and deeper and deeper into the cold, heavy sand. At first, the sand buried my knees, and then the sand came to my waist, to my shoulders, and then to my neck. I knew that the following wave would move the sand over my head and it was the end of my life. I had swallowed so much water and breathed in so much sand, I knew I was doomed. I was trapped in sand under the waters of the Pacific Ocean. Throughout this entire experience, I was very calm and calculating. I relied on faith to get me through this situation, no matter what the outcome. And generally, in life, generally, I remain calm in emergencies. It is after that I fall apart and break down. The ocean was also pitch black. The darkness represented death to me. I felt that there was no way out of this situation and death was inevitable. Then all of a sudden I saw a white light as I thought it was the way to heaven. But I felt a firm push behind me as if the hand of God was giving me another chance. And I kicked with all my might as I felt a firm push behind me as if God was helping me to go to the light. I thought it was the way to heaven. I went to the light, but to my surprise, I discovered that I was on top of the water and I had moved closer to shore and safety. The intensity of the waves lessened 
and I could make it closer to safety. John and four young adults who were also on the beach came running to hold me down so that when the next wave came, I would not be forced back into the ocean. One of the girls kept screaming that they needed to get me out of the water as they, they could all die. She kept screaming and screaming. It was a miracle that the ocean waves stopped, were, were calmed, and I was saved. We later learned that there was a lifeguard, but he had fallen asleep. We really didn't know how seriously we were, dam we were injured. We talked to the concierge, and instead of seeking medical attention, we decided to wait and fly home early the next morning. I should have known something was wrong, as when I coughed, my mouth would fill with sand. Even today, sometimes, sand still comes out of my ears. We later learned that not seeking medical attention was risky as my lung ruptured under the air pressure on the flight home. I was like Peter on the water, but I, but I am a person of strong conviction and faith, and because of this, God showed up for me. It was my faith that makes me strong. Faith is very powerful. It is the key to the love of God. Think for a moment, do you have examples in your life that affect, affected you, your faith? What emotions were you experiencing and how did these experiences change your life? Pause. When we got back into the States and went home to Iowa, I went to a pulmonologist and he immediately put me through a CAT scan. Before the scan had finished, without hesitation and medication, he cut a hole under my neck and threaded a long, clear tube into my lung, my right lung. I watched the entire procedure, and the tubing seemed to be about two feet long. The tube was then attached to a small machine that collected the sand, blood, ocean water, and the debris from the inside of my lung. There were also chemicals in the water. My lung had partly collapsed, and I had cracked and broken many ribs from the two, mi two times that the water had knocked the wind out of me. Today, my ribs are incorrectly lined, but I can live with that. Three months following the incident, I was given a clean bill of health. God had healed me again. During the three months of recuperation and healing, I said prayers of thanksgiving daily, sometimes hourly. I still do that today. When the doctor announced to his staff and everyone in the waiting room that I was a graduate of his program and that I did not need to return, the people clapped and cheered. I finally realized that the nightmare was over. One interesting sidelight was that the doctor wanted to know if I was a farm girl. And I said yes, that I had grown up on a farm. He told me that the pulmonologists have a theory that women who are born or live on a farm are strong. He told me I was one very strong woman. John was diagnosed with a broken tailbone. He actually has ended up with more problems than me. Because of the shock to his system, he has been diagnosed with PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica, and autoimmune disease of the muscles. Although the disease is manageable, he will and has continued to experience intense pain. We pray he will improve with time, and he needs your prayers too. 
One thing I didn't mention is that I categorize my prayers. Do you do that? When the situation is about my kids or family, I pray to Holy Mary to intercede. When it is something unforeseen, I pray to the Holy Spirit. When it is something personal or emotional, I pray to Jesus. And when it is very serious, I pray to God. I sure have spent a lot of time praying to him. And within his time, God answered my prayers every time. I realize that God comes in many ways. This time he walked on water to rescue me from a horrific situation. He calmed the angry ocean. When I made it to safety, I curled up in a fetal position and I kept saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for my life. While I was recuperating in the hospital, my son Justin would send me texts. The text would say, Mom, I give you my strength. These texts kept me going. I remained in the hospital for three days and then I went home to rest and recuperate in a more familiar environment. As part of my emotional healing process, my husband John gave me a necklace of footprints in the sand. I wear it tonight to give me strength. Yes, there was only one set of footprints. And now there are two. God had definitely carried me through the tough times, and at times he still carries me today. Because of what happened, I celebrate each day a little different way. I have a new appreciation for blue skies, green grass, rain, even blizzards. In addition, I feel more of a, of a need to provide service to others through hospice and other duties of a deacon's wife. I'm often asked why I think I'm still here on earth. I know that answer. We have a five-year-old autistic grandson, and he and his mother, my daughter, they need me. I know my work is not yet done. Writing this testimony was a very emotional experience for me, as I did it in a 16 straight hour period. I relived each and every incident as I wrote about it. The Holy Spirit was sitting with me as I moved from incident to incident. Tears were running down my cheeks. It was a religious experience, and when I finished, I was exhausted. All five of my incidents can easily be tied together. In all five, I was put in an unsafe situation, and God saved me in all of them. From the time I was an infant to today, I have had five experiences or situations where I needed God, and he has helped me through every situation. God is always with me, and he is always with you, too. What have, I, what have I learned from these experiences? I have learned four things. Number one, don't give up. When tested by God, use these opportunities to grow. Number two, setbacks are only temporary, and healing takes place with acceptance. Never underestimate the power of God. God, number three, God reminds us that the comeback is always stronger than the setbacks. And number four, your faith strengthens in the moment that you think you can't go on, but keep on going anyway. I know that God loves me. I love him. I am a survivor. Thank you.